One year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon's ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thanks for tuning in. Great to have you here. As always, we are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z. P-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Crossforce has a full line of trapping supplies, traps and snares, baits and lures, books, DVDs, everything you need to get going on Trapline. Go to cotsbros.com and start shopping now. We're also brought to you by Onyx Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. You can mark your trap locations, record tracks, get out and do some scouting from your computer. Check out all the aerial imagery, the latest aerial photography, and uh, landowner information, parcel data, everything that you need to figure out where you're at, where you need to go, scout your locations, mark your locations, find out who owns the land that you're planning to trap or hunt or fish on, and use this app in so many different ways. You can uh, measure distances, calculate area on a map. I mean, it's just unbelievable what you use it for. So anyway, go to onyxmaps.com, use the code Trap TRAP for 20% off of your first purchase at onxmaps.com. Also brought to you by the Trapping Today store, trappingtodaystore.com, where you can find my books, my lures that I use on the trap line, and the prized mustelids of the North American Trapper. Um, check them out, and I don't know how much longer the sh- all sizes of the shirts are going to be in stock. We I restocked a bunch of them. They're in pretty good shape uh, right now, but um, we're close. You know, certain sizes. If we sell a few shirts, uh, they're going to be uh, out of stock again, and it might take a while for me to get get them back in because I'm not going to I'm not going to order a thousand dollars worth of shirts at a time. So it's uh, I do small batches. As that's about you know what's practical for the size that we're operating at here. So. Check them out. Check that all out. TrappingTodayStore.com So tonight we're going to do tip, shout out, book, and ask and answer email questions that I left left out last week because we ran out of time. So uh, I'm just uh, going through this and we'll see uh, see where we get. Hopefully I won't ramble on too much. But um, tonight's tip... uh, for the uh, episode is sawdust. 
sawdust in the fur shed. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Well, it's that time of year. A lot of us have had trapping season in uh, in play for several weeks now, especially guys in northern climates. And we're working up fur. You know, I'm I'm looking behind me and get a whole pile of fur hanging from uh, from the walls of the fur shed, and a bunch of beaver on boards and stuff. And so, uh, you know, it's that time of year when you kind of get out all the equipment and stuff, and you get going and you learn what works and what doesn't, what you forgot to order, and and what you're glad you have. But one of the things I just want to point out is a a real help, especially when you're working with beaver. And also for otter and coon, you know, all those greasy animals, is sawdust. Uh, Not just sawdust, more wood shavings uh, I've found to be ideal. So you can get these at most any of of your farm supply stores. Tractor Supply is the place I actually got the last batch of them. I used to get them from this uh, feed company that was in town. They had a store in town and there was, they got pine shavings from a local sawmill. And they were the best shavings that I've used. I loved them. Nice and light and fluffy. The tractor supply ones are a little bit, eh, not quite so great. But for five bucks, you get a big bale. And that's going to last you for a very long time. So basically, you know, you can, you're working with beaver especially, but any of these greasy animals, any of these water animals in, in particular, you're going to need to have something to soak up all the fat and the grease and the mess that you make. And uh, you can use paper towels, you can use rags, but that turns into kind of a mess and you're filling up a garbage can full of rags and paper towels and and uh, it's it's not necessarily ideal. So what I usually do, I'll use the paper towels and stuff and I, I'll lay cardboard down and to catch my beaver fleshings and everything else. But once I've got that animal tacked up on the board, that's when the shavings, the wood shavings or the sawdust or whatever you happen to have really comes in handy. And so I just take, when I get my beaver tacked up on the board, um, after it's been up for a couple days, it's starting to dry. You could tell where the grease is starting to come out. You can see it. Sometimes if you don't get ahead of it, it'll start kind of running down the the side of the, down the pelt, uh, the surface of the pelt. Uh, you want to get that grease cleaned up and soaked up. And so what I'll do is I'll grab a handful of sawdust and I'll bring it over to the the beaver pelt and I'll just start rubbing it on the side of the pelt and I'll work my way from top to bottom and let the sawdust or or the shavings kind of run down the side of the beaver pelt and I'll kind of work them in as I go down until my hand is empty and all the the uh, shavings have have kind of gone across that pelt and they're on the floor and then I'll go grab another handful and I'll do it again and I'll do it again until I've you know I've got quite a bit of uh, grease soaked up and then I'll walk away and and a few days later I'll go look at the pelt again and if it needs it again I'll do it again and it's just a great way to kind of clean up and at the end you got some some shavings wood shavings on the floor you just uh, sweep those into a shovel and toss them outside and you're composting your yard, your garden, or your backyard, or whatever. So you're helping contribute to the uh, organic matter, the carbon, and and uh, the whole life cycle out there. So that's just a quick, easy, simple tip: is sawdust or wood shavings in the fur shed can uh, be a huge benefit for the trapper. A uh, shout out for tonight's episode is the North Carolina Trappers Association newsletter. Now, I don't know who puts this newsletter together, but they know me. 
because I get this thing. I didn't sign up for it, but I get it on my email. And so I'm assuming it's one of you guys that listens to the podcast that added me to the list. And we've probably, whoever you are, we've probably emailed back and forth before. But anyway, this thing is really, really awesome. It's very well put together, well edited, and it's a lot of cool, useful information. And, uh, you know, I'm not even a member of NCTA, but uh, I really enjoy uh, reading this. Uh, every, I think it's every month I, I get that. And so, you know, I'm just pulling up the November one. It's a nice introduction there. There's uh, some links to trapping class and some other stuff. Um, and then um, you've got a giveaway. You have some uh, supporters, some, some lure makers supporting the NCTA. Uh, some tips and tricks from a particular trapper. You've got messages for uh, communicating to non-trappers. That's awesome. Looks like uh, a couple messages, you know, uh, uh, key messages to use when communicating with non-trappers. Um, species of wildlife that trapped are abundant. Number one. Number two, regulated trapping is managed through scientifically based regulations that are strictly enforced by conservation officers. Key message three, state fish and wildlife agencies are continually reviewing and developing rules, regulations, education programs, and capture methods to ensure the humaneness of regulated trapping, and so on. So that's uh, great tips for trappers. Um, and then they have a raffle giveaway little thing, um, some more stuff on trapper education. And then they have, let's see, i got to pull that up. An update on legislative action there in North Carolina. An update on the exhibit at convention. Uh, a little information on certain species. Fur bear recipe. Ooh, coyote firecracker chili. Not sure if I'd be too pumped up about that, but hey, some people eat coyote. Um, let's see what else. A little bit from the uh, state agency there. Some photos from members and it's got a bunch of links to trapping tv shows books to read and trapping podcasts including trapping today so thanks for whoever's putting this together that is just a great resource and for you trappers in north carolina man if you're not a member of the association and if you're not uh, subscribed to that newsletter you better check that out because it's a it's a really good resource so that's our shout out of the episode uh the book for tonight's podcast episode is the Alaska Wolf Trapping Manual. I've mentioned this manual several times in past episodes. It is worth mentioning again. I guess it is my favorite trapping book, I gotta say. I I don't have another trapping book that I could say is quite so jam-packed with information and just fascinating to read. So the Alaska Wolf Trapping Manual published by the Alaska Trappers Association in cooperation with um, with basically a, the fish, Alaska Fishing Game and a bunch of uh, trappers uh, that have offered up all kinds of stories and information on wolf trapping. So it's something that was the ATA had worked on for quite a while back in the 90s, in the early 90s, and it kind of got put away for a while, nothing happened, and then finally mid-2000s it got resurrected and in 2007 it was published 
You can pick this up at the Alaska Trappers Association website. And I believe it's like 25 bucks. I think that's what I paid for it. There's also a companion DVD. I have not bought or watched a DVD, so I can't uh, give you recommendations on what that's like. But I can tell you the book is well, well worth 25 bucks. Worth a lot more than that. Um, especially if you have any interest in wolf trapping whatsoever, you got to get this book. So many different ideas. Uh, there's information on different methods. Uh, all the way from the beginning to types of traps, trap preparation, bait, uh, in, and then different sets and all kinds of different diagrams. It's just really uh, loaded, loaded, loaded with information. And then there's a section, like I've mentioned before, on Wolverine. Uh, awesome. I don't know of any other book that covers Wolverine trapping like this, so that is great to have. And then at the end of the book, there's a bunch of stories from different trappers. Uh, there's just, you know, like uh, different experiences that Alaska trappers have had. And there's a section on Arctic survival. So lots of stuff there. Check that out. The Alaska Wolf Trapping Manual. And finally, in tonight's episode, the ask. What I would ask you to do for me this week is leave a rating and review on whatever app you use to get this podcast. So whether that is the uh, you know Apple Podcast, which is probably the most popular, um, or any other like uh, Castbox or Podbean or Stitcher or SoundCloud or um, where wherever you get this thing, um, please leave a rating and review because that helps people uh, find this show and. I haven't mentioned it for quite a while now, so I just want to get people back in the mode of doing so. I think we've got like 160-something uh, ratings and uh, a bunch of reviews there, so that's great. And I appreciate each and every one of you who has left a review. But if you haven't, please go ahead and do that. Take a few minutes out of your day, maybe even less than that, but it definitely does help more people find the podcast, and that's what we're all about. Uh, tell a friend. Um, get uh, more people listening to the show. Um, the more people that listen and tune in, the better, in my opinion. So get to share more trapping information with people all over the place. And I, I do get emails constantly from people who have just started listening to the podcast recently. And um, I always think, you know, wow, that's awesome. That's great. But wish you had known about it like a year ago. That would have been cool to have you listening in this whole time. So anyway, um, if you are just finding the show, you can go back and listen to all the episodes. Some of the uh, apps are only going to allow you to go back 100 episodes. And so you'll only you'll only be able to see the, the most recent 100. And uh, however, if you cannot find the earlier ones, so like we're up to like 158 right now. So if you can, if you can only get like 58 to 158, and you want to listen into the earlier ones, you can do that. If your app does not provide that option, go ahead and go on trappingtoday.com, and you'll be able to find that. You can search through the podcast episodes, and I've got every single one of them available for free on the site right there. So I don't know. Someday I might do something different with them, but for now. Um, I, I like the idea of having that all available free for anybody to listen in. I kind of cringe. Um, actually, my friend Josh 
said the other day he he went back and was listening to the very beginning, the very earliest episodes, and I just kind of cringed. I was like, oh man, I can't even bring myself to listening to those. I was so terrible. I not to say I'm any good now, but I was just so nervous and all over the place, and I, I complete lack of confidence, I guess, in what I was doing. But I feel like I've got more comfortable with it over the hundred and fifty eight episodes and I hope that it's been a little easier to listen to (laughs) Uh, if not sorry too bad but anyway uh, you can listen back to those if you want and I there is a lot of cool stuff like I remember like episode six and seven I went full on into the links thing with in Maine and talked a lot about the politics around that and I there's other times when I've talked about things that we went really in depth I thought it was pretty cool the early ones, uh, I don't remember when it was when I, I had Ron Jones on, but those are really good ones. A lot of people, th- those were some of the more popular episodes as well. So f- make sure to go back and check out the earlier episodes if you're interested and you get the time. And, uh, oh, by the way, that's it. That's it. Tip, shout out, book and ask. But also just a heads up for those who don't know, I do have a YouTube channel trapping today and an Instagram account uh, which is trapping today d-o-t-c-o-m trappingtoday.com all spelled out getting a little tired of instagram i'm putting i'm putting all of a lot of photos from my trapping season this year and so it's a good place if you're interested in just kind of seeing what it's like on my trap line and pictures of my catches i guess that uh, it's there but i don't know it's just so much stimulus when you open instagram there's just boom everything hits you like crazy and Maybe I'm just getting old, 37 years old now. I just had a birthday, and <laughs> I don't know. I it, there's just it's Instagram. I can do it for a few weeks, and I I kind of get tired of it. But I'll try to keep posting some stuff up on there. And uh, YouTube, I've been uploading some videos. I have two or three more that I need to get up there, and I haven't done it yet. But the the ones, uh, well, of course, last year's Alaska trapping trip, I've a five video series on that and that's been super popular but the one that has really surprised me is my uh, series on martin trapping in here in northern maine this year and i put up two videos there and what i did is i i pulled together all of the little clips i take when i'm out on the trap line to make a catch or i go to a set and want to describe something to you or whatever and they're like 20 to 30 minutes each i pulled them all together into these two parts of checking the trap line and those have been incredibly popular and I actually have one more part to go that it's probably going to be about a similar length and I'll put that up and that's when I the last couple checks and when I pulled the line but I've those have had like between almost 5,000 views each on those two episodes and I mean for me that's for my account that's quite a it's quite a lot of views so I was pretty surprised by that I guess there was a lot of there's a lot of interest in in seeing that trap line so thank you guys for following along and of course you get a lot of engagement a lot of comments a lot of boy there's some backseat drivers too it's kind of funny to watch some of the comments but anyway that's that was uh that's always fun and uh I I love getting feedback from you guys and check that out if you are interested in watching some of the visual stuff what goes on on my trap line. 
Now let's get into the questions. I went through listener emails last week and and got a bunch of them kind of uh, read and responded to a bunch of stuff and, and talked about different topics that people brought up. But I had two emails that I did not get to and they were the longest, kind of the more in-depth ones with lots of questions. So I didn't have time in last week's episode so I thought I'd I'd go ahead and kind of devote some some time to talking about these topics. So the first one is an email from Mason from Missouri. Let's see if we can't pull that one up. He says, uh, I've been trapping for about a month, only been setting traps for a week or so since the season started. This is like, you know, the, by the time you listen to this, this is an old email, but... Anyway, using some older DP traps that a friend gave me along with one Duke DP, blah, blah, blah. He's talking about uh, these DPs are dog-proof traps. Keep getting knocked over and the bait taken. What is the remedy for bait theft and trap tipping? Uh, by the way, I really enjoy your show, blah, blah, blah. And I really liked your episode on hunting around dogs. Place I hunt has a farm... A uh, dog, young and adventurous, gets into things often. He's talking about trapping around these around dogs. Uh, this worried me, but after listening to your show, I took some good pointers and have been applying them. By the way, that episode is super popular. That, that's had uh, more downloads than a lot of the other episodes, trapping around dogs. Uh, thanks for bringing trapping to the forefront. I've been hunting since I was a kid. always thought trapping was some barbaric torture thing. That's what a lot of people think. Now I see its use, value, and humane ways. I currently have a handful of dukes, but talking about traps and stuff. So anyway, Mason's questions were primarily surrounding um, traps, dog-proof traps, getting tipped over, and stolen bait. And for those of you who don't know what dog-proofs are, I think most people do. Dog-proofs, or DPs for short, are basically raccoon traps. They are enclosed foothold traps that are designed only to catch raccoon. They'll catch raccoon, they'll catch occasionally possums and skunks, and potentially could catch other species, but almost never do. And so they're they're primarily a raccoon trap. And the advantage of the dog-proof trap is quite obvious. First off, you can trap in areas where people have you know, you have domestic dogs around and you don't want to catch dogs, this is a great trap where you can catch raccoons without having to worrying about, without having to worry about catching the neighbor's dog or catching some hunter's dog. Um, it's just a great trap for being very, very target specific. So the dog proofs have that advantage. Of course, the disadvantage is you're not going to catch a coyote or fox in a DP. Um, I'm sure you, now that I say that, someone's got a YouTube video where they did it, but whatever. Um, so the at the outset I'm going to say that's the basics of DPs. They're basically like an enclosed box thing. There are a million different designs. Every company has one. Every seems like every other trapper has designed one and built one. But the at their core it's essentially a a tube, okay, a metal tube that you put bait inside of. And it has a trigger on the inside and has a spring on the outside with kind of a round 
the spring is like a metal rod that's just kind of a round shape around the around the frame the outside frame of that tube and the animal sticks its hand the coon sticks its hand in to grab the bait that's inside that tube and when he's grabbing the bait his hands are right next to the trigger because you put the bait right under the behind the trigger typically and he trips the trigger and that spring with the round metal rod comes up and goes up against the arm and kind of pins the uh, the animal's wrist I guess you could say or the arm up against the inside of the tube so it holds in there just like a foothold trap would except it's the foot is inside that tube and so that's a that's a dog proof trap they're very humane they're very target specific they're very very easy to use that being said that is essentially the extent of my knowledge of dog proof traps um, as I record this I actually have a couple set right now down across from the house uh, me and my boys have have had a bait station out and we get a we've had a trail camera on it uh, which actually stopped working um, by the way which is another story in itself but we had it set to video and we were watching uh, foxes and uh, a coyote and a fisher and a couple of raccoons coming in and we thought you know that we had a lot of fun watching them and I don't have my coyote stuff and fox stuff set up right now I actually might be uh, tomorrow I might be boiling a few traps just to set some out and get it out of my system but I had these DPs that I picked up uh, in a bunch of traps I bought the other day and I I just thought I'd take the boys down there and we'd we'd set a couple of them just to see what happened and I don't even know if we're gonna I don't know if we're even gonna catch anything but I have almost no experience using dog proof traps I've only I've used them oh, just a very very few in Montana and a few here in Maine and that was it so I have no experience with DPs there's mainly when our season opens here in northern Maine the first of November uh, you you may have a couple weeks some years the coons are going to be hibernated not long after the season opens winter hits things get cold steep snows and cold cold freeze ups and the coons are down there's other years like this year we're almost into December when you listen to this it'll be at, it'll be the first week of December and it's unseasonably warm it's incredibly warm and the coons are still out so you never know it's not consistent we don't have a bunch of cornfields and stuff so we we don't have a huge coon population here we do have them so but but I guess what I'm saying is it there really isn't an opportunity to catch a pile of coons with DPs now there's guys in the Midwest that absolutely destroy coons I mean they're just they have so many coons they have so much ground they have all these DPs and they know exactly what they're doing and they're good at it so I'm I'm telling you that because I uh, I'm. I don't want you to think that I'm that I know what I'm talking about here when I try to answer these questions. But I'm going to try to help you just based on my little bit of experience and what you, um, what I, what I've read and heard from other trappers. And if you are a big time DP trapper and I've said something wrong, or if you would like to uh, add something or provide some more input, I, please email me jrodwood at gmail.com. J R O D w-o-o-d at gmail.com and let me know I'd love to hear from you and I'll I'll provide an update on this uh, question and answer to 
try to make it a little more informative for the uh, the new trapper. And by the way, I hate to go off on a tangent, but you know how I operate. I can't help myself. So while we're talking about like sharing ideas and trapping and stuff, and if if I have some thought or idea that I, you know, that you think is wrong or you have more experience that that you can share to improve on it, it reminds me of something I've been some guy that I've been listening to quite a bit recently. So. You know, I, while I'm out working on the farm or doing whatever I, I uh, or like I was doing today, listing traps for sale on eBay, I always have something going in the background. And a lot of times it'll be YouTube and it'll be different videos, different YouTube interviews and all kinds of stuff, just trying to get smarter, I guess. So there's this guy named Ray Dalio, and he is the founder of Bridgewater Capital, which is... I think the most successful successful hedge fund in the United States and it's it's one of the most successful private companies in the US and basically they manage wealth and this guy is a multi multi billionaire and he started from nothing from zero his dad was like a jazz musician um I think his his mom might have been a school teacher or something I don't I don't know but he started from nothing and and he started investing in the stock market and over time he built this empire this this huge fund uh this this huge company that manages money for people and and is incredibly successful and now that he's kind of in the later stages of his life he's he's really been focusing on and talking about this thing he calls principles and principles are or basic ideas that he has learned over the course of his life and career that is he has found to be successful and he's at the phase in life where he wants to share that with other people. So he does a lot of speaking and writing and stuff, but there's this one thing that kind of this idea, one of these big principles that he, that Ray has developed within his company that he calls radical candor and radical transparency. And that really struck me because I, I really felt that that, uh, could resonate with us in the trapping world. And what Ray was trying to say is that within his company, he is of the opinion that everybody in the company has uh, ideas and everybody has thoughts and opinions and they all are worth considering and worth thinking about. And just because Ray is the CEO and the founder of the company and the boss, the owner, doesn't mean he's right in his opinions. And so he wants to seek out the opinions of all his employees and and figure out whether or not he is right. And if not, if he's wrong, what is the right answer? How do we know what the right answer is? And how do we know um, ultimately you know, who's right and who's wrong or, or what the best approach is, whatever we're doing. Um, he's talking about the stock market. What direction is the market going to go as a result of different things that happen in the world? Uh, but this applies to trapping, I think. Um, what's the best way to set a dog-proof trap? What is the proper um, pan tension on footholds for coyotes? What's the right snare to use under ice beaver trapping? 
or coyote snaring out west. Is it a 1x19? Is it a 7x7? 332nds, 16th inch, 564ths? There's so many different things. Trap. I felt like this applied well to trapping, and it could be its own episode, really, but because it, there are so many different opinions in trapping, there are as many opinions as there are trappers out there. And there are so many different methods that we use in critter, different critters. That's what I love about trapping. There's so many different animals you can catch. Each animal has different habitat, has different habits, uh, diet and food and ways to be caught and everything else. So we don't know what the right answer is. And for one person to have an opinion and to feel strongly that their opinion is the only way, you know, 10 years ago, I would have <clears throat> told you that my opinion was the one right opinion and that was that and I never would have really thought much about it and you go on like you go on Trapper Man and see guys you know talk about stuff and that they get so fired up or Facebook or YouTube or whatever and and their way is the way and if you don't agree with that then you're wrong sorry (laughs) so this was a really refreshing approach that Dalio has because it really was, it paralleled a lot of the changes in my life where I've, I've come more to the conclusion that I don't know what the answers are. I've got a pretty good idea on certain things and I get closer to what I think is, is the truth or the right answer or the, the proper way of going about things in certain subjects and certain days. But how do I know if, if I'm right or if the other guy's right? And instead of being, you know, arrogant or proud and think I must be right, maybe it's good to uh, to approach things with the idea that, you know, I may not be right. So why don't I hear the other guy out? Now, the second very important part of this whole thing is, um, so Dalio wants radical candor, radical transparency. That What that means is the can- radical candor and transparency, basically the the newest employee at the company can go to the CEO and say, you're full of crap. I, I, you're wrong. You are 100% wrong. However, if they say that, they have to back that up and come up with a reason why and explain that. And he has something, this gets into really super detail, but they'll have meetings and he has something they've developed. He's developed, they call it the dot plot. And when someone makes a point and argues why, say, why Ray is wrong about something, they make their argument and every other person in the meeting is rating their argument based on the points that they made as well as based on the experience that they have. And then another person makes a counter-argument and other people are rating that person's argument based on you know what points they made, uh, the facts that they used to back up their, their ideas and their opinions, um, how much experience do they have? You know, I can see this working in trapping where um, you got a bunch of people around the table talking trapping and we don't know what exactly the right answer is, but if Jeremiah Wood is up there talking about dog-proof traps and Ron Jones is up there talking about dog-proof traps, Ron Jones's arguments are going to have much more weight because he's caught thousands of coons dog-proof traps and Jeremiah Wood has caught one or two, right? So... This, uh, and, but Jeremiah might have might have a point. That's that's correct. 
and maybe Ron hadn't considered it just yet. And so this this whole system, this whole idea, this philosophy or whatever it is, is a way for uh, us to get closer to the real answer, get closer basically in our world, becoming better trappers. Because if you've already figured it out, and I've talked about this before, you know, the, the whole intro thing, do you know everything? If you've already figured it out and you know everything, you're not going to be open to these new ideas and you're never going to expand and learn more things. So, um, getting back to that, I'm, I'm just trying to put it all in context that I don't know everything about, I don't know almost anything about DP trapping, but, uh, Mason, that doesn't help you. So what's going to, what I'm going to try to help you with really quickly, dog proof traps getting knocked over. Number one, if your DPs are getting knocked over, my thought is, uh, you should try to stake to bed those traps down more solidly. Okay, so if something's messing with them trying to get in um, and the traps are getting knocked over, there's a spike. And if you guys that aren't familiar with these dog proofs, there's, they have a spike in the back of them and you stick that right into the ground. And that kind of is what stabilizes the trap. Now, if, if, that, if you have really soft ground, or the spike, some of the DPs don't have a really long spike on them or they get the swivel kind of gets in the way of the spike and you can't get it too deep. Uh, well, you may have a trap that's there really loose and a coon might kind of paw at it a little bit and knock it over and, and either get scared or lose interest or I don't know what. But um, one thing that I would try with those traps getting knocked over is to get them solidly bedded so they're not moving around that easily. Um, one thing you can do is you can pile up some dirt behind it or some material. You got to make sure that if you, you pack dirt around it, there's a spot where the springs need to be able to get to release to when the trap gets set off. So you got to watch for that and watch for, for the dog and the trigger mechanism. But it, uh, you could pile, pack dirt around it. The other thing you could do is if you if your spike isn't that good in the ground that you're, you're in, you can take and attach one of those long spikes that you can buy at like the hardware store, like Lowe's sells them. Like you can get six inch, eight inch, 10 inch long spikes and you can attach that. You can wire that or zip tie that to your existing spike in your DP. So you can get a much longer uh, anchor point and, and you can shove that into the ground. So try, try bedding those DPs more solidly um, to prevent them from getting knocked over. Now, the big thing, the bait getting stolen. If you, if you, have bait stolen from a dog-proof trap and you're not catching a coon, there's a very, very good chance that you don't, you're not even having a coon coming to it. It's not the coon that's stealing your bait. Um, there, are, there are chances for a coon to steal your bait. So let, let's get into that first. A coon, a coon could, be, uh, could be taking the bait and not firing the trap. Uh, some of those traps, depending, like I said, there's a million... Well, there are a million, but there's at least there's got to be at least 15 or 20 different dog-proof designs, maybe more, and each one has its own sort of uh, idea around the you know how the trigger works and how, all all that. And so some are are uh, pull-only triggers where the animal has to be pulling out to fire it. Some are push-pull, so they'll work either direction. Um, and so, in in some the way that the the dog locks up 
to the trigger is different in every one of them. So one thing you got to check is kind of make sure that that the tension is set properly and that if that trigger if that trigger moves the the trap is fired and that trigger can move relatively easily because if it's really tight with a lot, a lot of tension then that may be an issue. The other thing that some potentially some DPs can cause problems with is like where the dog is and where the trigger comes into the dog there there's kind of some of them have like a notch on the side of the dog near the end and if like I think the Z traps might be like this where if you set them and you you bury the the trigger into that notch on the dog then regardless of which direction that trigger moves it can't fire it can't release the dog so you have to set them outside of that notch toward the outer end and the notch is there so that when you're in a push-pull system regardless of which direction uh, the trigger goes it's it's going to have air, empty space for the dog to flip out of the way and fire the trap I know that is not easily explained in a podcast so I, I apologize for that but uh, basically what you need to do is just test it you know use a stick and stick it in to your dog proof when it's set and make sure you can fire the trap just make sure that's not a problem okay assuming that is not the problem there's a very high likelihood that there are small critters stealing your bait without firing the trap mice are are terrible on these mice will will clean out traps once they find them they'll just be constantly in and out of those dog proof traps uh, cleaning them out every night squirrels sometimes can get in there as well small squirrels chipmunks whatever and birds can can pick stuff out of those also so the the best thing that you can do with that assuming everything else is set up uh, the other thing is experiment with the amount of bait that you have it seems like most people, again, I don't know what I'm talking about because I haven't done this much. Some people will pack it right full, the whole DP right full of bait. Some people will just put a little bit behind the trigger down at the bottom. But it seems like more people have success where the bait kind of fills up the inter- the the area just underneath the trigger. So the bait comes all the way up to the trigger just, just underneath it. And so the animal has enough bait that they're going back and forth constantly. Uh, they're working around that trigger uh, quite a lot, um, but but not too full where, where you can have other issues with getting that thing to fire. So um, not, amount of bait, yes, that's, uh, you know, consider that as well. Uh, type of bait, that's usually that shouldn't matter um, as long as it's something that coons are attracted to. Is the trap able to fire? Okay, finally. Now, if you have critters that are that are stealing your bait, you need to be using caps or covers on those dog proofs to keep the mice and birds out. And so there are special caps that they make to cover these up just to keep mice out. What Basically what happens is the cap is on, mice and birds can't get there and steal all your bait, but when a coon comes in, they still smell your bait, they want to get to it, they just flip that cap out of the way and they go in and get caught they make these special caps that i think they're called like american trapper cap or something and you can you know you they're specially designed to put over the dog proofs and 
they zip tie right to the trap chain. They attach to the trap chain, and so you don't lose them when when the uh, when you get it, make a catch. That's probably the best way to go, but they cost money, and you got to order them and all that. But just as easily, you can use you can use a wide variety of things to cover your dog proofs. People use like uh, styrofoam cups put upside down over the top. You can put like a plastic top of a plastic water bottle. A lot of people use golf balls. A golf ball fits right over the top of the the opening of a DP uh, very nicely. The other thing with with these caps and covers is they keep the rain out of your trap too so it doesn't water down your bait and get it all messed up. So Mason, um, that's what I've got. I hope that helps. Anybody else has any input, let me know. But, um, you know, bed them solid, use caps or covers, and check your trap, make sure it's properly working and, and can fire. Now, finally, Jared from Michigan. I apologize, Jared. It has been too long since I've I've got back to you and said I didn't have time to write out a bunch of answers to your questions, but I was going to answer it on a podcast episode. So here we go, Jared. Um, Jared has a series of questions. I'm actually going to pull up his email here. I wrote I wrote down his questions with some notes, but I wanted to make sure. So uh, Jared been listening to the podcast for over a year now, and last year was his first year trapping. Um, he did pretty well, it looks like, and um, now he has a bunch of questions. So he says, first off, I bought coyote traps, a mix of number twos and number threes, online at a local auction. They're all dyed and waxed nicely, but people have been handling them barehanded. Should I just redip them in wax, or do I need to get the old wax off and start over? That is a good question. So that depends on a wide variety of uh, of things. Um, so obviously, you have a wax trap out there, and everybody's handling it, looking at it at an auction and stuff, getting their scent on it. There's probably a bunch of different things that could have been around that trap, and wax is pretty good at soaking up scent. So a, a few, there, it, it gets back to the whole idea about scent control on the trap line, and there is a wide variety of different opinions. Uh, going back to the, you know, <laughs> the uh, sharing of ideas and opinions, and. There are people, like back in the 70s, the whole mantra was no scent, scent control 100%. You cannot do anything to get any possible trace of human odor or human-derived odor on or near your traps. And so it was like incredible the lengths that people went through to make sure they're gear was scent free nowadays people take traps right out of the box and set them barehanded and catch critters and so it do you need to be scent free to catch coyotes no do you need to be scent free to catch all of the coyotes in an area probably so like Back to the 80-20 rule that Ron Jones talked about in the podcast. Mention Ron again. 80% of the animals are pretty darn easy to catch. You know, they'll they'll uh, 
they'll come through to most any set and they're dumb and they're uneducated and they'll get caught and they're not worried about your scent. 20% are pretty smart and it's going to oftentimes take a little extra effort to catch those that 20%. So what do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to get out there and trap? Do you want to catch every animal out there? And and what is your tolerance for not making a catch? Um, are you worried about traps getting dug up? Traps can get dug up because of scent. Um, in my experience, traps are dug up more often because they're not bedded solidly. And and it doesn't have that as much to do with scent. But scent, scent is a factor. Um, so I don't know. This is, this is a topic we could go on for forever. I would say... If you had, which is it's November, late November, early December now, so you don't have this time. But if you bought these and you had plenty of time and you and you set them out in the barn, or you know out in the open air for a month, I wouldn't worry about it. I would say probably most of the scent that was on those traps has had the opportunity to get dispersed, and whatever's left on them after sitting for weeks out in the open. Um, having the wind, the breeze, and everything else, it's pretty minimal. I won't worry about it. I'd, I'd just go trap with them. Um, if you pull these home from the auction and you want to take them, take them out and set traps, then you probably do want to do something about them. I mean, you could still take them and set them barehanded and everything else. You'll catch fur. But if you want to do it right and you don't mind taking the time and, and make sure you got it done right, you can... You, you can do that. So just a, a tip for folks that that do not have experience or have a question on how to do, go ahead and do this on removing the old wax from a trap or, you know, getting it cleaned up. There's a couple different ways to do it. One, you can basically just um, boil your traps like you, like you regularly would when you're going to dye them. Um, put those traps in to, to your your big barrel or pot full of water, boil them, and that wax, as the the wax heats up, the wax is going to melt, and it's going to float to the surface of the water. Um, get that good and boiling for quite a while, and then shut it off and let the water start to cool down. You can speed this process up by pouring cold water into the, the vessel, whatever you have your traps in. The wax on the surface is going to solidify as it starts to cool down. And you can scoop that wax off of the surface and then you can pull your traps out. If you if you don't scoop that off the surface and you just pull your traps out, you're going to pull your traps back through the layer of wax that just came off of those traps. And so you're going to kind of uh, add wax back to traps you just got took wax off of. So it's kind of self-defeating and it can make it a little more messy. So that's one way to do it. Another way to do it that I, I don't have experience with, but I know that several people have done this, is a mixture of vinegar and water. Uh, 50-50 vinegar water seems to work well. And soak the traps in that vinegar water solution for a couple of days. Pull them out, rinse them off, and they should be um, pretty well cleaned up. The other option is uh, lye. Lye is... The old tried and true. You can get sani flush, I think it is. Um, 
that is pretty much lye, some or some sort of cleaner that's similar to lye, that should work and um, and will will do quite a job on removing that stuff from your traps, but uh, not necessarily something you need to use, but uh, but it's something the old timer trappers have been using. Lye lye has worked for a lot of years. So those are ways to clean it up. But yeah, it's just really honestly, Jared, it's up to you, whatever direction you want to go. Question number two, how long does lure and bait last in in a sealed dark container in a barn? Well, most lures, if they're properly formulated, my opinion, pretty much indefinitely. If it gets too hot, you might have some issues with certain lures. Uh, but if it's in the shade and it's pretty cool, in the corner, back corner of a barn or something, um, make sure they're well sealed. Make sure that that those uh, those lure bottles are airtight. You can uh, help with this by wrapping some of that black electrical tape around the uh, the lids, and make sure there's a good seal on them. But yeah, pretty much you got a good bait or lure, it's gonna last for it pretty much indefinitely. You can you could take old lures 20, 30 years old pull them out and you can use them so uh, some lures may change over time uh, so I mean there's no guarantee there but uh, for the most part you're going to be dealing with what you were dealing with years before and you don't have to worry about lure going bad that's that's the beauty of it like if you're going to buy a lure you don't have to worry like oh I got to use it all up this season no it's it's going to be fine I've got lure from you know year going on years and years and I, I pull it out every season, use a little bit, put it back away. No problem. Um, now, the third question is suggestions for solid staking. He says, uh, most of what I trap is farm fields or marsh. Most of the fields are clay or mucky. When it's dry, it's extremely hard. When it rains, it's very soft and sticks to everything. I have wax dirt, peat moss, and buckwheat hulls to keep my trap bedded. Any suggestions for solid staking when the ground turns soft from rain? I have some earth anchors right now. They worked last year, but everything was frozen. Da -da -da -da. So I don't have a lot of experience in that clay soil where you get, you know, just kind of soaks up water and then it dries up rock solid. But any earth anchor with good amount of surface area should be fine in those conditions. So what I'm thinking particularly about is the wolf fang earth anchors and like the the PCS outdoors has the Osable earth anchors which is essentially the same thing as the wolf fang it's got a really wide surface area and so when you pound it into the ground and you pu start pulling up and it flattens out you you've got a huge area that you're pulling up against and even if the soil is wet and mucky uh, it should it should hold now that being said, never, never set a trap, in my opinion, never set a trap without having first tested the strength of that, the holding strength of that anchor. So what I do is I pound them in and I pull up, I yank them up hard and I set them. And I make sure those earth anchors are set in the ground. I pull and pull and pull as hard as I can. Well, maybe not quite as hard as I can, but a little bit less than as hard as I can. And get them in set so that I know that a coyote's not going to be able to pull that out, no matter how hard he pulls. If you're having issues, um, maybe one out of every four or five is not setting. 
and is not holding, what I would the next thing I would consider doing is putting two earth anchors in the ground. And you can kind of cross peg them like we used to do with the old uh, rebar stakes. We'd, we'd kind of have those butterfly two stake, double stake uh, swivels. And you can pound one going one direction, another going the other direction, kind of crossing each other. And uh, you'll have superior holding power there. If that doesn't help, then you got to go to drags because nothing's going to hold. Um, the other thing to do is if you got like a top layer of soil that's really clay and real mucky, um, that layer of soil is probably not that deep, depending on what kind of country you're trapping in. Uh, most farmers in the United States have pretty much burned off most of their topsoil, so there isn't much more than about 12 inches of it. Um, there's exceptions to that, but if you got a 12-inch cable, sometimes just going to 18 inches on your cable length is going to make all the difference because you're going to be able to get down in that parent material below the topsoil and you'll have better holding power there. So that would be my recommendation for staking. Uh, next question. Simple drowner system for muskrats. So he says, do you have a simple drowner system for muskrats? The creek I trap is generally about four to eight feet wide and anywhere from one to three feet deep with steep banks. Call all my muskrats and pocket sets along the bank. So he's concerned he, he can't use body grips. He doesn't really have a spot to use 110s. So he's using footholds and pocket sets, and he's concerned about losing rats uh, because they're not being dispatched right away. And a lot of things can happen if a rat's not dispatched right off. Um, and so the, a drowning set is is very uh, helpful, very useful for this. It gets makes a quick, clean kill, and the animal's saved. You don't waste any fur. You don't have any issues with, with holding that animal alive in that trap for a long time. So, yes, the great answer, Jared, is there's an easy answer to this one. And it's so simple and it's so effective that it's going to blow your mind. Um, so, like a standard drowning set is going to be, you're going to have a slide wire like we do beaver trapping. You know, open water beaver trapping that I do in the spring or the fall. And I'll toss out a drowning bag, a big heavy bag, and have a slide wire and a lock. And the trap is attached to the lock, and they go one way, and they go out of deep water. You're not going to want to do that with rats. It's just so much extra work. And it really, I mean, it's just its just not, it's a pain. It really is a pain. Um, the rod's the same way. They're expensive. you got to pack them around and everything. So there's something very simple. It's called a tangle stick. And... Basically, what you're going to want to do is when you make your pocket set, you look at the length of your chain and see how far that rat can go to get into deep water. And you want to make sure you have a long enough chain so that rat is going to reach deep water where it can drown. Um, and, and if you don't have quite enough chain, maybe you got to stake your trap out in a little deeper water just so you're closer or set, make your set near the edge of a drop-off where you get into deep water. Now, the good, with a rat, it doesn't take a lot of water to drown a rat. You know, two feet's plenty, foot and a half. Um, sometimes even a foot will do it. But anyway, it, it, it that's pretty simple. Now, what you want to do is you're going to take a, a pretty stout stick and you're going to pound that into the stream bottom. Somewhere toward, it, you want to pound that into the stream bottom in water deep enough to drown a rat. And... You're probably going to want that to be like maybe halfway out 
um, from the end of your trap chain. And that can be like two-thirds or three-quarters out, but you do need to make sure that animal can get around the outside, the deep water end of that stick. And the reason I'm calling this a tangle stick, I don't know what other people call it or whatever, but it's the muskrat is going to get caught in your trap and it's going to go to water for safety. And it's going to go swing around the outer edge, how far it can get when it hits the end of the chain of that trap. And when it goes around the outside of the stick, it's going to get tangled around that stick. And it can't go any further because the trap chain is stuck against the stick. And it starts to go or it gets wrapped around and that animal is going to drown right there. All it is is pounding a stick and you get a drowning set. Um, simple. It's just the simplest thing ever. And it works. It's very, very simple, very effective. Um, you got to make sure your chain length is right, your stick is in deep enough water, your stick is stout and pounded and good, solid, and uh, it's the right distance out from the end of your chain. But anyway, that's... Uh, that's a really good way to to drown rats and and to to make for a quick dispatch. The other thing is use using heavier traps. And I know you may not want to do that. You may not be able to afford uh, heavier traps. You want to pack around, but like a one and a half is going to drown a rat almost on its own. They're going to want to go out to deeper water, and they're not going to be able to pack that one and a half long spring, for instance, back, or even a one and a half coil. In most cases, they're not going to want to. Uh, be able to pack that back up into to shallow water. So, those are your options. But um, that one's that's a that's a pretty good way to go in that situation. And then finally, he wanted pointers for minimizing disturbance of deer hunters because he's um, muskrat trapping in an area where there's a lot of deer hunting going on, and uh, the rat season overlaps the deer rifle season and all that. And any pointers for minimizing disturbance of deer hunters. Besides communicating when I'll be there, or should I just wait till after the season? So, depends again on your situation. Uh, I are you trapping public land? Are you trapping private land? How many hunters are there? Do you know these hunters? Do you not know them? Just a you know a number of different things you could consider. I would say I would not just stop trapping for muskrats altogether because there's deer hunters in the area particularly if it's public land. Um, rat trapping is pretty non-invasive in terms of hunting. Now, you're going in and out of an area, and you're going to, you know, you're, yeah, you're going to potentially spook deer, depending on how close your sets are to somebody's tree stand or an area where where they're hunting. If you know a guy is has a stand in one particular spot, yeah, I wouldn't set traps where you're going to go in and disturb that. But if you're in a case where you're, you just don't know what's going to happen, where people are going to be. Um, you know, I talked a lot about sometimes it's not worth trapping, but sometimes it is. And that's a case where, you know, if you're if you're in there, you have just as much right as the next guy, and your trapping is not going to affect them in a negative way other than just disturbing them by going in and out. It's not like you're going to catch the dog. But, you know, someone that's going for a hike with their dog could be disturbing that hunter just as easily. So uh, it, it seems fair that you could go out there and trap. Now, one of the things that you can consider is the time that you go and check your traps and set your traps. We know that deer hunters, you know, the prime time is like that first hour or two after sunrise and the last hour before sunset. That's when the deer are most active. 
and that's probably when they're most likely to to have a chance of an animal coming in. So you may want to just time things so that you're going out in the middle of the day to check your traps, uh, where it's it's going to be there's going to be more noise around anyway. The deer aren't going to be as active. You can get in and get out and and minimize the chance of disturbing those hunters. So hope that helps. Thanks so much for those questions um, from from both of you guys. I love getting questions from you. I love getting feedback from you all. jrodwood at gmail.com again. And that's going to wrap it up for tonight's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. And now it's time for the Cots Bros Deal of the Week. You can go to cotsbros.com. That's K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. And this week's deal is a savings of $5 off and, and double the points on any order of $50 or more. So you can get uh, any, anything you get at Cots Bros if your order total comes up over 50 bucks, you're going to get $5 off and you're going to get double the bonus points, uh, which is essentially, I think it's another 10% off. So pretty awesome deal there. The code is JRODXMAS. That's J-R-O-D-X-M-A-S. So J for Jeremiah, R-O-D for Rodney is my middle name. XMAS for Christmas. Pretty simple, right? Don't forget it. Get on Cotsbros.com now and take advantage of this offer. It expires the end of December, so you get a little while uh, to take advantage of this, but don't be too late. Get ahead and, and get the stuff you need because, uh, hey, th- this the way that things have been going with COVID and everything, supplies, everything's kind of, uh, boy, if you wait till the last minute, you may not be able to find what you need. So, Get on there, get it done. Keep on talking traffic. Keep on thinking traffic, guys. We will catch you on the next episode.